0: Oh, thing, kicks us. StreamYard sort of gives you like a, you have to hit the button after the time for a certain period, or they just cancel the whole thing. So,
2: oh, I gotcha. They, they put the pressure on. Do you guys get a lot of people who are following live, or is it more after the fact? Or Mick? We've got a
0: pretty, we've got a regular crowd. Yeah. On yeah. Monday we a, nights. And then the regular you know, Cool. A lot of people listen after the fact, but yeah. You know, we there's, got a, there's, a steady, steady crowd.
1: There's about there's about twenty people, twenty five people that are consistently in the live chat every Monday night. Sometimes oh, more, that'll sometimes be fun. less. Yeah, it's always it's always a wild group chat. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. And they're all here now. Yeah, the Not lights everybody. on.
2: We're live. I see the little red box. We're going. Gillen's We're doing here. it. Jeff
3: yeah.
0: Frederick, Billy Jenkins, Robert. Some of the usual suspects,
1: boys in the south, boys in the north, freaking Canadians. <laughs> hmm.
0: Well, here we are. It's Monday night. This is episode 194 of Snakes and Stogies, which is crazy, man.
1: A lot hours. I was I actually was prepping the Instagram story for this evening, and I was like, man, what are we going to do for 200? So we'll, we'll, we'll commiserate on something.
0: Do something cool. I don't know. I got. Yeah. I got no ideas for
2: you guys. Sorry, we never do either. It always. <laughs>
0: it always happens where we're like some sort of milestone episode comes up, and we're like, "Yeah, we got to do something cool," and then it rolls around, and we don't ever do anything.
2: Well, I think we <laughs> finished planning this. Uh, that this was even happening about an hour and a half ago, so that makes yep. sense.
1: Yep. Yep. That's how we roll, man. Oh, it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was telling him. I was like, man. I was like getting everything ready and and sort of putting some orders. Together to ship out tomorrow for Fulvius. And then I was like, wait a second. And I was like, we didn't have anybody lined up. And I was like, we did. And I'm like, wait, it's Monday. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: had to
0: message him. I was like, we're still good for tonight.
3: Yeah. I was, I was, sure. Yeah, of course. We're good. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It's yeah. It's That's been cool. uh
0: yeah, first time live listener, super hyped to finally catch one. Thank you. Nice, Appreciate awesome. Love to welcome to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so episode 194 brought to you by Fulvius Apparel alwaysapparel.com check it out use the code thn at checkout get 15 percent off your order that is the exclusive promo code for thn listeners and viewers like you uh you know jason's got that that new cyclura shirt on there i sent him some goodies
2: sent him a repping little, the
3: blue care package you know
0: i
2: like it you know i figured it was a it, it kind of hit the rhino and it's a blue iguana at the same time
3: yeah
0: well, <laughs> wasn't even intentional i actually didn't even think about that i was like i'm trying it's so hard to find colors cuz there's a lot of colors that those shirts come in that as far as like what i can print on but i just like i don't like that color and i'm like there's no way there's people out there that are going to want to wear that and so like the sapphire one i actually do like but i'm like is people are people really going to want that color and wear it so yeah We're kind of putting it out there as a tester. I know a lot of people are like wanting to get away from the all black all the time kind of thing. So I do try to offer stuff. That's most like
2: reptile shirts. You go to an event, it's always black or maybe if you're lucky, white. And now everybody's doing that jersey material. And I'm not a super big fan of those ones, but you know, people are liking them these days.
1: And Smitty, are you wearing the Trans Pecos, Texas shirt?
2: about shirt? That's right. Get,
1: get, get, let's see that. Let's see that, baby. So Look at that. Text.
0: It's just text.
1: Ooh, love it. Love, love, it's love. The that design show. that
0: I was working on a couple weeks ago, and then today I was like, I think it might be time to dust that bad boy off and see how it prints, and it turned out good. So,
2: so you have all your own printing stuff,
0: right? Yeah, that's what I do for work. Is I I work at a print shop that does custom custom apparel and stuff. So,
2: oh, that's pretty rad.
0: It's pretty, pretty convenient.
2: So does that mean you're having to buy like a hundred of these shirts at a time? Nope. nope. No, you're doing yeah. one off?
0: No, they're, they're print on demand right now. Like when people place an order, like I, unless some of them, I have just stragglers of different sizes on hand. Um, for whatever do you reason. have
2: all the, the shirts that you have colors of, do you have like the actual shirt itself? And then you print most
0: it? of the time, but sometimes I got to order them and then it'll, you know, it delays the order by a day or two. Until it gets there, and then I can print it. But other than that, yeah, no. I mean, I'm in a, a perfect position to be able to do the Fulvius thing, and and it be non-invasive for everybody. So
2: that's cool. I had um, I had a, a while back. What's that shop called, Printful or whatever? Yep. I had done some printing. Addy had done some designs, and I had printed myself up some shirts on there. And their printing was so inconsistent. Like,
0: yeah, that's kind the, of some of them would
2: crumble. Yeah. And the prices were crazy high because of the, they're just, I feel like even the wholesale they're making a ton on. So it's just.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, with the, with the drop shippers and stuff like that too, it's, it's tough because basically those orders, when they get placed by people buying the shirts are going to sort of get randomly shot to whatever their affiliate printers are. So you don't, the consistency, that's where that issue is, is you have different printers printing the same thing from, you know, wherever. And so you're going to get inconsistencies there. Um, And then the price wise, it's like the printer has to get a cut. Printful has to get a cut and you get a little bit, you know, whatever's left. And so then obviously the price gets jacked up that way too. So
2: and I already ran these through the wash and the, the, the print on them stayed super nice. And I was super impressed by that and the shirt stayed nice. I was like, dang, these are good. So well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you. It took me
0: a while to figure that out. Like we weren't curing them long enough for a while. And so I had a couple, like I'd bring them home and I'd have some that washed and they'd, they'd fade a little bit. And then I had some that washed and they'd be fine. Finally figured out that I needed to press and cure them for twice as long as I was before. And that, that graphic stays pristine pretty much. Cause I have some now. Yeah. Like, I do wash tests on for, all the time to make sure that that stuff stays looking like that. Because I'm like super paranoid about about the quality and stuff of the, the print itself, um, and that that curing process is definitely upping that. Is has fixed a lot of it.
1: So my uh, my Bittis Africa shirt, I wear that at least once a week since you gave it to me. And however many times I've washed it, the neck is starting to get like the bacon neck in the bacon. But- It's getting the bacon, but the actual print itself is exactly the same as when I got it.
0: See, I haven't had the bacon neck on any of mine yet either, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, I
2: actually really like the neck on this one too, because a lot of them they're like, yeah, I can't breathe in them, and these ones are they're good. Overall, good shirts.
0: Thank you, thank
3: you.
2: Well, in case anybody was
0: wondering, (laughs) I've got yeah, and I've so I've got the the subox design is going to go up on the website here soon, Um, and then. I had some people suggest some designs for some other stuff that I really liked that I'm probably going to put together. So um, be on the lookout for those. Obviously I'll, I'll post them and, and stuff like that when it happens. Um, I'm going to do those mugs. Those mugs are supposed to be delivered tomorrow. The mouse mugs. Sweet. Those are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, um, Chris at Copperhead Reptilia was the one who was like, "I need a mug that that says what I'm using it for. That way, no one." <laughs>
2: I'm like, you know, I don't know
0: why I didn't think about that, but
2: the stock graphics that came with it of like dunking the Donut <laughs> in and stuff was awesome.
0: I purposefully I was like, let me find the worst ones of these. Oh, and it had the kid using yeah. it. Uh, yeah, okay. that's great. Thank you,
1: Jeff. If um, if um, someone wants to purchase the trans texas t-shirt and get a subocularis hat are the hats available as well
0: i have one hat for sale right now oh
1: get it while it's hot kids
0: but my embroiderer at the moment is is low on jobs so this week i may take advantage of that and have her crank out a few of them for me Excellent.
1: excellent those i do
0: excellent. have to do sort of in batches just because typically she's busy and i don't like to throw hats at her in the middle of other jobs you know with the actual like job job work yeah yeah um, so when it's slow like this i'll sneak in you know five at a time or whatever We be like knock these out whenever you get a chance and now we can do them on the front though it doesn't have to be on the side It can be like this condro hat where it's just on the front we got that new machine that can that can get through that that seam heck yeah because that that seems tough, but
2: that's something I would have never thought of. Yeah. It's, so just, you, it's They need to even think about that.
0: Yeah. And it's just the structured ones like this and what Phil's wearing. They got that panel inside. It's like a sheet of cardboard or something. And, uh, some of those, those embroidery machines really struggle to get through that. And especially that, that seam in the middle where it's twice as, as thick. So trade secret stuff. Rock and roll. Yeah. No. <laughs> so full com, Check it out. Uh, blackboxcages.com. You need a rack. You need a cage. Hit them up. Tax time is here. Go spend some of that money with blackboxcages.com. Use the code THN to check out as well with them. Get 10% off your order.
3: Um,
0: our buddy Mark uh, Curry ordered some some cubes. And he was like, dude, it was like the prices were phenomenal. He was really happy with the prices. He's like, I got two cubes with the lights. Um with locks, and he got some other stuff, uh the cord protector for the heat panels, like all this stuff, and it was all sub one grand shipped wow. and everything. So he wow. was he was ecstatic
3: nice. about that. So yeah, man.
0: I told him I was like, you're not going to be disappointed. You know, he asked me about them and some other some other brands and stuff that I I haven't bought from, but I was like, I'm biased, but I, you won't be disappointed. You know, whether they were a sponsor or not, we'd still wholeheartedly say that their stuff is is top notch. So
1: thousand percent man
0: check that out uh, cold-blooded caffeine best coffee on the market look at that right there snakes and stogie's blend <laughs> mexican wandan. it's delicious it's nutritious it's delicious get you some uh, coldbloodedcaffeine.com and then puget sound pythons last but not least the fine folks the pacific northwest give them a follow stay in the loop with what they're doing. I think they had some females that looked like they were on the right track to dropping some eggs. Some some I think I saw some water pythons. Nice. Some other other odds and ends they've been randomly throwing in the in the group chat. So give them a follow, stay in the loop. Excellent. We're here. Again, it is Monday. Uh, this week we are joined by Jason Ryder. Uh, kind of down a, a fellow Floridian to represent Phil's people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, How close are we to each other? Where are you at?
1: Uh, I'm down in Boca Raton. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm about three and a half hours from you.
2: You got a bit of a drive. Yeah. You got a lot of the fun stuff down there.
1: Yeah, yeah, a, a, a fair bit, a fair bit. I'll tell you what though, this is the worst year of snowbirds I think I've ever experienced. I think
0: it's the greatest migration.
1: It's the it is the greatest <laughs> migration ever, and like what used to take me twenty minutes to go anywhere now takes me forty. It's crazy.
2: Ah, oh, so. that's the worst. Yeah, yeah. I I just I hate driving anywhere this time of year.
1: Yeah. So do you live in Tampa proper, or are you like outside?
2: No, I'm in Brandon. So okay, cool. That's where Billy, about Hunt 25 in in Billy Hunt About twenty five minutes. Billy Hunt. Yeah, Billy Hunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
3: it's of nice Uw- down
0: here. Uwabami reptiles. Yeah, if you've scoured that across your your local
2: people i don't that <laughs> oh, i gotta get out more oh, yeah same that's
1: good man Brandon's a nice area i like that
2: it is it is pretty nice it's about uh 25 minutes from the zoo if you take the expressway the nice part is that expressway is right here yeah oh, if you yeah. don't take that man oh my gosh i i hate i4 that's like the uh, the, the death trap of a of america right there
1: yeah it doesn't matter what part of i4 you're on it's just miserable somebody crashes
2: every time you're going anywhere it's it's just you can't count on there being no traffic unless you're out on the road at 5 a.m or right coming back at night after nine that's the only time it's not jammed up
1: well it's crazy like i i we just said how our, our good friend billy lives in brandon and it my gps always says like three hours 25 minutes or three hours and 20 minutes sometimes three hours and 40 depending on traffic it every time something happens if i take highway 60 a helicopter landed if i take (laughs) i4 there's a jackknife tanker trailer like it it never fails you know but it is a good area i like that
2: you got to get that private jet and fly it everywhere not quite (laughs) not quite yet
0: (laughs) <laughs> Seaplane, yeah, well, sea, dude, that would be awesome. Man. Landed in the swamps. There you go.
1: Landed Surely, in the bay. Some, of,
0: some of the ponds in these residential neighborhoods are big enough to land
2: one of those bad boys,
1: dude. The lake in my backyard is big enough. I'm not
2: even sure. How far do you need to land one? Well, you need like, I don't know.
0: What, 50, 75 yards?
2: No, you Based probably need more than that. Going. You need, I think, you need more than that. I bet you need some quite some distance to get up enough speed to actually take off.
1: Yeah, because think about it, you got all that drag on oh, yeah. the water. I'd be more
2: worried
0: about that than landing, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably easier to land. Or crash or whatever you do.
1: Falling with style. You'll stop. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man.
0: Well, this episode we figured we'd we'd talk about some cycler and some crocodilians, since that seems to be the uh, the focus of, of Jason and his projects. Um yeah. but sort of getting to some some background information for for context. I mean, how did how did you get to where you are currently and you your day job um, is like officially zoo related. Is that Correct.
2: So, um I am currently um my status is a senior animal care professional with reptiles and amphibians at Zoo Tampa. So, I'm taking care of um All the venomous snakes, the amphibians, um, crocodilians, and now we got those really awesome baby Komodos over there. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm not over there a whole lot. I used to be full-time all the time, and then uh, having kids, I needed to cut back, and they were willing to work with me, so I still get to go in. I'm only going in a couple times a week, but I get to keep doing that, and I get to be with my family a lot more so it's pretty
1: awesome that's great man that's great
2: so you uh background wise i went to august Standard college in the quad cities got a degree in biology biochemistry then after school started working at a mom and pop pet shop it was 2008 so i think you guys know that was the recession at that point so it was kind of hard moved back home I was with my my uh family for a while I've had, i have an identical twin brother And uh, I started working at that shop. He eventually started working there with me. And then um, I met my now wife and uh, we ended up moving to St. Louis together. And she worked at Grant's Farm in St. Louis with their elephant program. And I got a job at the St. Louis Zoo working with their stingrays and sharks through living exhibits. So I was doing stingrays and sharks at St. Louis first. And as some of you may know, they've got a really rocking herp house up there. Um, so Did that was work, pretty cool. You guy. work with Justin Eldon? I went to Croc school with him too. Hey, awesome. <laughs>
0: man, that's one of my, one of my favorite people.
2: He's such a nice guy and he's always, he's always out and about, man. He's all over the place. He's always at every international Herb symposium mm-hmm. and he's just, he's always got a ton going on. Um, I actually knew him when I was there, he was a keeper Because now he's moved up. He's one of the head guys over there now. But uh, him and his buddy, shoot, now I can't remember his name. After hours, I had him come to Stingray with me. We all went snorkeling in the Stingray habitat with all the (laughs) the Stingrays and sharks. (laughs) So it was super fun. Um, And then a couple years later, I met up with him at the Croc School. So that was super cool Um, out at St. Augustine Alligator Farm. Uh, So yeah, so after working with the stingrays and sharks there, I got my wife wanted to move. So I said, let's move somewhere warm. So she applied to Zoo Tampa, which was Lowry Park Zoo at the time for anybody who's been around that long. Um, She started on their elephant team as a keeper. And then I got a job at Bush Gardens as a seasonal with their bird reptile team. So that's kind of when I first started being around venomous and being around um crocs and stuff so they have uh slender schnouts and um, american alligators that we worked with when i was on the team um and then um they had I, I didn't get to handle them but i was around all their they have they had some pretty cool stuff they had like gaboons eyelash vipers mm-hmm. and i think you guys probably you guys you guys snakes and stogies you guys when you're around venomous the first couple times it's a weird experience that first time. There's no no real glass between you and a yeah yeah and a snake. And so just to have that um, that first few months of getting comfortable by just being there while they're doing all the stuff made it a super good transition when I jumped to um, Zoo Tampa. I, I was right at the end of the seasonal job. They had an opening at Zoo Tampa, and I got a job there on their. It was herps and aquatics then, but the herp it was the herp side. Excellent. And so I've been working with them since, um, so that's, was, uh, 2015 that I started at, oh, wow. uh, at Sioux Tampa. So it's been a few years.
1: Do you, uh, w- I, this may have been uh, after you were at Bush, but do you remember a giant, uh, I don't want to say giant, a giant tiger retic that was in, I think the roller coaster exhibit or whatever.
2: Are you talking on the one, uh, over at i i know they added something in cobra's curse because they pulled all the hots from there is that what you're talking about
1: yeah so um, our good friends matt and jamie they used to keep large constrictors and they had the last snake they had before the state squeezed them out for large constrictors was a massive like 15 foot tiger retic no pun intended yeah and they no pun intended and they they donated it to bush and they put it on exhibit with like all this like ancient egyptian stuff which is totally contrary but it's I guess yeah. the cue line for the roller coaster
2: okay so that was Cobra's curse and so they used to have they had um Jameson's Mambas Rhino Viper oh shit what else they had a whole oh uh swearing on this are you guys yeah you're good, you're good. You're good. okay yeah sorry no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I'm like oh we're live um you're good they had all this awesome stuff, but then they wanted to cut back on having to keep all that anti venom there. Yeah. So instead of the, you know, they're a publicly traded company, so when they start doing all the dollars and cents of it, um, I mean, I can't say exactly how the decision came about, but I know they all left, and now, uh, you know, they had like a Dumers bow in there for a while, and uh, yeah, now it's it's not quite the same. It's cool. But, yeah, you know, it's not yeah it's not, it's the, not same. the same
1: not the same so yeah, what, they, so what events are you guys keeping the zoo now
2: florida stuff
1: only Florida. so we native. got
2: okay the florida natives and that's because of the whole uh well we don't have a really uh, a herp house you know what i mean yeah everything everything there is in the florida section uh, yeah. and um pretty soon that's actually going to be rebuilt so we'll see what what ends up happening at the Long term vision includes Florida Venomous. Um, I don't know if there'll be an expansion to other herps, but I mean, we've got um, you got your cane breaks or tin timbers, whatever you want to call them. Um, this is a your- house,
1: this is, house cane <laughs> this, is, this
0: is an Atra Kadata's house. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't allow that split around here, we don't we don't acknowledge right. that. Um, I love that. Everything is like, we're going to split. Now we're going to bring it back together. Then we're going to split. Then we're going to bring it back together. It depends on whose taxonomy you want to go with too.
0: Summer's and the thigh master. It's just back (laughs) and
2: forth. Yep. (laughs) Um, so we got those, we got some beautiful, uh, Eastern diamondbacks that were actually bred at Jacksonville. Those are guys are super pretty. They're not full size yet, but man young rattlesnakes that color is so beautiful on them yeah Uh, Yeah. pygmies uh coral copperhead you know cotton mouse that kind of stuff
1: cool excellent so that's fun
2: fun stuff yeah Yeah. and then we've got a lot of the the non-venomous too we've got like we're we're working with the the safe program for um eastern indigos working on breeding them no offspring yet but dang heaven we've been giving it our all on them we've had some really good locks over the years and uh and we've had egg binding unfortunately oh. happen, and that's that's hard when when it's so close yeah um but we're i mean we're doing we're doing everything we can um i don't have you guys do you guys have disney plus yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen it on there but there's the secrets of the zoo tampa show
1: yeah we'll gonna check it out
2: Um, so that we're all on there. We're doing stuff with, um, everything and venomous, my buddy getting trained. Uh, he's now, he's been at the zoo for about five years now, but his, some of his venomous training where he had to get checked off on using tubes, they happened to catch some of that. And I don't know, man, that adds another level to it when you have somebody staring at you filming for a national TV show while you're trying to focus on a, venomous snake and to get it to go into
1: a tube safely <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah I, I never, that's pretty cool I
0: never found that to be an issue for me as far as like ignoring whatever else is going on around me except you know the atrox or whatever it is i'm dealing with you know that's yeah. awesome well, so it's been comes, very easy for me training. to be like whatever's happening i don't care like this thing's right out like i don't care about anything else like it doesn't
2: and that's how you stay safe, man. And also, yeah. you you don't you don't free handle, right? That's oh, it. Hell know. I saw that on the um the oh. instructions.
0: <laughs> yeah, on the wash instructions, Phil. I don't know if you've seen that. It says do no. not use bleach. And it says can you, you
2: read bleach. that? What does it say? Do not freehandle. Nice. Do not, do
0: not use bleach and free handle in the do not section.
2: I that, caught that and that I started brain. laughing. I was like, because I I had started my washer i was washing them and it said and i went oh shoot it said turn them inside out so i quick turned it off and then i started it back up and i came back and read the rest and i was like oh do not freehandle that's really good (laughs) advice that's
1: awesome i had no idea you put that in there that's great (laughs) Uh,
2: i'm in the process
0: of getting some actual i'm going to do like actual (laughs) business card size things inserts instead of
2: the staples oh that's a fun fun little easter egg you slipped in there yeah, absolutely. I thought people would
0: appreciate it. I
1: thought it was Hell great. yeah,
0: that's I great. I hate, I paid free handlers. I hate that shit.
1: Yeah,
2: man, dirty, dirty free handlers. Be crazy. I'm probably the only one who's ever going to read that, though. I don't think anybody else reads directions. <laughs> this is true.
0: This is true. <laughs> the uh, is there anywhere in Florida, in particular, but I guess anywhere else that's doing anything with those uh, long-tailed king snakes?
1: Not that I know of. No, man, and that's like talking to kj and preston man like that's their that's their passion that's their that's their, Every their time goal I see pictures of those things I'm just i know how and
0: freaking cool would it be to see those in the wild? i
1: know them and mole kings man and yeah. i feel like yeah. they're gonna they're gonna go extinct and no one's gonna know probably you know so i'm Let's hoping get we moved over one day
0: hopefully we yeah. see some, some moles when we go up to francis marion uh in like april
1: nice nice
2: nice don't you guys like wonder that like how many species we didn't know were even there like are gone already you know what I mean like
1: well I see I think about that but I also think about how many animals are doing fantastic on private land that mm-hmm. no one knows about because especially down like South of the Lake you, like Collier County and and even even parts of Dade and Broward and Monroe there is so much private land and I'm not talking Indian reservations. I'm not talking about state parks, actual private land. Like I think the Collier family, the, the, the family that the county's named after has like 243 million acres. That's just for cattle. And like there's not cows everywhere, but they have it there when or if they want to use it. And. There's diamondbacks, there's indigos, there's all kinds of stuff there, but no one gets to check on it because it's private. But at the same time, no one's hurting them because it's private. Because it's private. So I think about that stuff more, you know, like mole kings in Dade County are basically extirpated. But there's so much agriculture land that is in 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 temporary use or seasonal use. There's got to be mole kings down there. Just no one's allowed to go look for them.
2: Yeah, man, I, you just need that, that magic wand that lets you know where they
1: are. Yeah, well, you, got, you just got to be friends with farmers, you know? Let them know that you're not going to trash their property. And uh, there, was the,
0: gonna... there was a surprising amount of people in the South Carolina Snake ID group um, that were posting mole kings that were more like upstate, sort of in the oh, Columbia wow. area. Like last okay. year, like a freakish number. And I mean, we're talking like less than 10, but still way more than That's I've great. ever seen people posting about them. And I think we're supposed to get them here on the coast. Honestly, I don't think... I don't think they're here. I've never seen a DOR. Yeah. I've yeah. never had anyone send me a picture saying, what is this? Like, I just, I'm fairly convinced. I just, we don't have moles this far, this far down, down the line yeah. up near Charleston stuff and Francis Marion and whatnot seems to be like, they're, they're much more of a possibility, but I don't know those long tails though. Like I didn't even know those things existed up until a couple of years ago. Um, when I think maybe you or someone else had posted in the group about them, yeah. uh, those things are wild though. It's, it's just a bummer that they're just completely yeah. overlooked and no one, you know, yeah. no one's really doing anything with them. And,
1: and when we were in North Florida, uh, back in September with KJ, we were in prime short tail habitat and it was perfect weather. It was perfect road conditions. There was nobody really on those roads to get, you know, squished. And, uh, we didn't even like KJ takes is, pride in finding short yeah. kings. Okay. Yeah, short tail Yeah. And uh, he, he takes pride in looking for short tail tracks. And he's like, dude, the, the, the humidity is perfect. The moisture in the sand on the road is perfect. Like, we should be seeing tracks, and we didn't see nothing. So, but there's always next time they're out there. That's right.
0: Um, short tail king snakes. Uh, Landpropeltis extenuata. Right, extenuata. Yeah,
2: and I thought were... somebody asked about crocs too. By the way, uh, from Zoo, Zoo Tampa, we do have Indian gharial. We've got American alligators, and then we've got a totemistma. In the past, we did have Orinoco and Philippine croc as well. Very cool.
0: Seem like seem like a cool species. I remember seeing those um, at Saint Augustine. Yeah, they got them all. So many of those species seem like a seem like a lot of fun. Especially the uh, like the Siamese look really cool, and I'm a big fan of Cubans. So That's you cool. like the ones that'll chase you.
2: I mean, I or can the galloping ones? Man, that that little Philippine was so fast. She was <laughs> only 65 pounds, but man, she could she could go from her pool to the door in a second if she wanted to.
1: That's wild, man. Dude, everything that comes out of the Philippines is awesome. Snakes, the frogs, the Your crocs. Boy are pretty choice. Yeah, man. Choice. <laughs> McGregor Oof. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. Dude, Henry just sent me, or, you know, it was Nipper. Nipper just sent me an EU classifieds out of Germany for a McGregor eye that was like the most rich, dark, passionate purple on the dorsal. And then the body was bone, or the belly was bone white. Crazy. Crazy but we digress back to the zoo <laughs> <laughs> to miss <Tamistema, laughs> huh? So you guys just had the one to miss Yeah,
2: she was, uh, she was a feisty one, I guess, back where she was, they had tried her with breeding and she just whooped the male. Ooh, uh, so she had to get separated. I guess they're in the wild. They're, um, in like very seclusive peat swamps and things like that. And they're, they're in, uh, like slow moving waters and stuff eating monkeys and birds and all that cool stuff Uh um so i mean she she is though one of the smartest crocodilians i've ever worked with she is so cool super chill she's um you read the stats on a temistema and the biggest females are about 12 feet long and she is 12 feet long she is huge she's 12 feet she's um When she came in, she was about 460 pounds. So she's, she's probably between that and 500 pounds right now. And, but man, she is, she is so smart. We've got her, she targets, she, uh, she knows her. We have a a duck quacker, that's her call. Um, And so we do that and she knows when to move. So she won't, we've worked with her. We do a lot of opera conditioning and training with her. We don't want her to body follow. We don't want her chasing us around the habitat thinking that we're going to feed her. So she's learned that she's not supposed to come over by us unless we give her that quack and then she'll come, she'll line up, she'll touch her target. And we can do all sorts of stuff. We can get her to come up on land. Um, We can do A to Bs back and forth with multiple trainers. Uh, She's just, she's just crazy smart. It's amazing how smart those animals are. Very cool.
0: I I mean, they, they pick up that kind of stuff fairly quickly right cuz i've heard yeah. like alligators in particular you know it doesn't take long for them to realize after being fed you know i
3: think no
0: for sure that's that's uh, that's where the food's coming from
2: that's one of the the reasons that if you feed them even accidentally it's it's death for an alligator that's what we talk about a lot too you fed gator's dead gator um here in florida um because then they become a problem because like somebody's out there cleaning their fish or whatever or they're having a picnic and they're throwing stuff out in the water They probably don't realize that every body of water in Florida has got alligators in it. So it's, it's watching you and it starts to learn, Hey, those people, whenever I see people around, there's food and they'll start hanging out. And eventually if anybody directly starts engaging them, that's when they, they might learn, Oh, if I go towards them, they drop the food and then they run away and I get food. And that's, yeah, that's how the fed gator becomes a dead gator. Sad man. I know. They're just, they're so smart it kind of works against them sometimes. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, as far as the general public don't realize how smart crocodilians are as a whole. Like they, you know, they see them. And I think it's because you don't, obviously they, you know, they're not like cats and dogs where their expression is fairly obvious. Um, You know, looking at them, you wouldn't think that there's a whole lot of, lot of thought going on between the eyes, but I tell people all the time, they're, they're freakishly smart. Like you don't think they're doing anything, but those, those gears are turning, man, you know, they're, they're, they're on point. Um, uh,
2: yeah. That Missima, we go out with her and sometimes we just do a chat and we've walked out there before, before and we have a pool and I was trying to figure out what she was doing. She was coming up to the side of the pool and looking over the edge. She had to come up a little bit. She was checking the, cause I had a wood pole. She was checking to see if there's a target at the end of it. So then when I held it up so that she could see there was no target on either side, then she just went back down in the water and spent away. She was wow. seeing if we were about to start a session or something like that. That's she was, crazy. They're just so smart. And, um, we don't think of them. They 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 have studies kind of show they kind of have a lower frequency than we hear. They don't necessarily hear the super high tones, yeah. um, but they can hear human voices. And so our bridge, like we'll just tell her good, and that's that's our bridge for her is a, just a verbal cue. And we figured out for sure she could she could uh, hear it because uh, we were training one day. And we were, we were, I was filming, or I can't remember, it might've been Spencer was filming my coworker, Jasmine. And she was getting uh, the to, to come up on land and halfway up into her transition to land, she said, good girl, in a really like normal tone. Oh, good girl. And she heard good, which is her bridge. And she instantly turned around and went. And if you watch the video, as soon as the word good comes out of her mouth, that animal turns around and goes back in the water. Wow.
1: <laughs> That's wild.
2: (laughs) they're so tuned in and they're just listening. And you can tell if they're ignoring you because they have the ear flaps. So if their ear flaps are moving and they're open and they're responding to you, they're listening. If they close them, they might close them and then go underwater. That's, that's when you're getting ignored and they don't want to hang out with you. Uh, they, They have moods just like everything else. And I know I was saying the, the, you like the ones that chase you, but they have different moods too. And they're usually super smart. And usually those like Cuban crocs and stuff, can be super well-trained because they're just so hyper-intelligent compared to some of these other species.
0: Yeah, the stuff I've heard about Cubans is just mind-blowing, man, with the, you know, uh, I've never, I don't think there's any other species that I've I've heard people talk about in captivity that was more, like, off the wall than Cuban stuff.
1: Yeah, man. Especially, like, shooting out of the water and, oh, man,
2: crazy.
0: Wild stuff, man. Yeah.
2: Do you work with Bruce for Crocs. I'm assuming you're talking about Bruce Schwedick. Jeff, who's asking? Um, Bruce Schwedick has come by before. He came by for our uh, Orinoco Orono- transport when they were shipping them out. Um, he, I know, he assists with a lot of transports and things like that. Um, and he's come to. We have. Um, uh, uh, working group that we do f- with reptile keepers. It's the Florida reptile and amphibian working group. And we kind of use that for uh, um, networking for a lot of this type of stuff. And he comes to some of those to kind of talk about his crocodilian center and stuff. But yeah, I think that's who you're talking about. He's yeah, that's right. the guy. Yep. Yeah.
0: And then Nate asked if you've ever noticed crops, pick, uh, crops, <laughs> crocs
2: picking up on your vocal t- tone and mood. Um, honestly, I have not, uh, noticed vocal tone and mood. I have noticed preference for individuals or, um, we had this one guy, uh, Spencer, he's a guy who's been there for about five years now. And when he first started the Tamissima refused to eat for him. And she would just, at first she wouldn't even come up to him. Then eventually she would target for him, but she wouldn't take the food from him. Then she'd take the food and spit it out. Or wow. sometimes she just go completely underwater and ignore him. Um, so I mean, they they show they know their people, um, and they can show preference for people like that. And then once he was finally on her good side, they're on they're they're working great together now. But there was a while that if he wore a hat, then she wouldn't deal with him again. So he, hmm. he we figured out he couldn't wear hats. <laughs> and now now she's pretty good overall, though. But I mean, they pick up they do pick up on little stuff like that. Um, And I think there's a lot going on that we don't always know. Like there could be seasonal changes or environmental changes, or if they're hearing at lower frequencies, there could be communications going on between different animals that we just don't hear. I mean, you you think about alligators in their water dance and the big (laughs) bellows and things like that. I mean, like with elephants, they do bone conduction three miles away and they can talk to each other. Like what, how, how far, are these animals able to do bone conduction, especially especially with that uh, vibration traveling potentially through water as well as air? So it's yeah. just you you gotta wonder all this stuff, and and they they're so sensitive to that stuff. I know our alligators will occasionally pick up or tune into like uh, a plane flying over and start bellowing because <laughs> they'll start feeling really? that vibration. Wow. Yeah, just, okay. and so. I mean, they're, they're queuing into different stuff than we are. They, we just don't always know what's going on.
1: That's wild, man.
2: Awesome. Something, cra- uh, something crazy too, is our, uh, is by our, our ambassador area. So they have a bunch of macaws and, uh, birds and stuff that, that mimic. And so we were doing, we were doing her, her quacks. And all of a sudden we started hearing behind us quack, quack, quack. All these <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, well, that's going to screw everything up. So, but she's, she's smart enough that when she'd hear it, she'd look to see where the target was to make sure that person was actually calling her. So, wow. But, smart animals, man. Very cool. Uh, I
0: mean, what's, what's the timeline for them from the time you start training them with like completely blank slate to the, to where she's at? That their- is,
2: that's a really, really hard question. Cause she's um, 47 um, or 40. She's late 40. So she probably has had some training in her life before this um and i know when i was at saint augustine alligator farm for croc school Mm -hmm. they give us an alligator a baby alligator and we have to teach it a behavior by the end of the week or be working on it so i mean those are blank slate animals because they've never ever been trained and you're talking expectations are in less than a week you can have the animal learn something yeah so I mean, that goes to tell you, even with little, little guys like that, you can be taught. And I mean, it's not just crocodilians that can be taught. We were talking about cyclura. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: At the zoo, we've got a a Cuban iguana. That's our only cyclura right now. I'd love to get more. That's what we've got. The Cuban iguana was a stowaway on a boat from Guantanamo (laughs) Bay in Cuba and came to landed, uh, uh, the boat landed in St. Augustine and it was the they called fish and wildlife and it was picked up there and i believe it was brought to alligator farm for a little bit and they called us and said you want this cuban so we got this we said sure we'll help out we'll take the cuban in." and this thing was a wild little firecracker wow wanted to bite i mean you know he was a wild iguana he never and he he just went through some crazy relocation and trauma um (laughs) I know we built him a nice habitat outdoors. And I, I you know, I said to him, you know, I want to, do you mind if I work on, on training with this guy? I want to do it. And he said, I don't care, go ahead, do whatever you want. And so I started working on targeting with it. And I, I had the video somewhere the first time I got that thing to target and, or him to target. And it, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And now this animal, uh, we can call it back and forth. And it, it it's learned that if we touchdown like this it comes up and it touches its little tongue on your hand and that's its little targets and it comes around it's they're just so cool i mean there's so much stuff that you can train that's um awesome. i know pe- i know people are a lot of times uh trying to do some training with snakes yeah um i i haven't i've had a hard time some of it seems like scent baiting mm-hmm. versus traditional training but then you start start seeing it more and more Mm -hmm. where these snakes are learning. So they are learning something. So I'm kind of wondering how far snakes can go in the future. You know what I mean? Sure.
0: I think there's, there's definitely some, some species there that are much more cut out for it than others. Mm -hmm. uh,
2: I think some of those apex venomous ones, like your, your Kings and your mambas and things like that, that are highly responsive, highly reactive, um, no, that's well, I guess they're reactive, but I just mean they're they're highly in tune. Right. Um, they're very, I know they were talking about uh, one of the zoos where just they they got a light bulb and it was a slightly different color. And the the cobra just sat and stared at it all day. <laughs> I mean, they're they're so in tune to their environment. and things like that can also provide enrichment and stimulating environments for them. Um kind of wondering how many more reptiles we're gonna see. That, that we're going to learn can actually see way more into the UV spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and that when we keep them without that, we're not just depriving them. Cause I mean, UV is, is great for pretty much everything now is what they're figuring out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I don't know how, where are, you, are you guys starting to keep UV on most of your species for snakes and stuff? I have or UV, I have
0: UV on some of my stuff, but not
2: all yeah, of it. Exactly. Some, some of it, but not all of it. it's it's harder with some of the fossorial stuff to start seeing it but then they're starting to see a lot more cryptic basking where you have it and they'll put the little leg out and it just makes me start wondering like visually are they needing this for some of this stuff for breeding cues for Mm -hmm. environmental cues i'm heck i wonder if the the uv spectrum changes throughout the year you know what i mean oh yeah
1: yeah, throughout the day with cloud cover yeah. and whatnot. yeah
0: i mean that's something matt most told me with the the and I and 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 stuff he's he is convinced that that uv uh you know even even full spectrum i believe uh when we were talking about it he thinks that 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 helps a lot on the breeding front just in terms of either getting them going or getting the females developing what they need to develop to you know to have healthy clutches and stuff so yeah But I found that mine will, you know, when I turn on those UV lights, like in the morning, you know, they'll definitely come out and hang out for a little while and then they'll go back to their, their cork rounds and stuff. But, um, they definitely use it. And I mean, without a doubt, there's, you know, I see them out soaking it up. So
2: I am, I am so thrilled with the advancements and, uh, collective herpetology in general, Mm -hmm. just everybody, um, on the. And a lot of the cutting edge stuff is not just being led on the zoological side, it's coming from the private sector.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if there wasn't that private sector market, then this stuff wouldn't be available. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, like all these now, now uh, most places, most people are buying. Their own UV probes, you know what I mean. Everybody's got the 6.5 R's or whatever, and you can check your spectrums. You can check all that. You can make sure your bulbs are staying good for a long time. You can, I mean, it's just it's just awesome the advancements. Most people want to start doing bioactive, and I don't know if you remember in the past how it used to just kind of be like, what kind of rug do you want to put down for your <laughs> yeah
1: <tank>? yeah exactly <laughs> exactly
2: and and now it's just like Oh, you guys were talking about black black box cages. Like the sizes have gone up. Nobody's people nobody's like, "Hey, I want to do the minimum anymore." Yeah. And I think that's just so rad. I think it's so awesome how how far everything's going. Um
1: Yeah, so. Zoomed gave out these little cards that like it, yeah. it's a credit card and it has a it's like a purple logo and it's got a sun like a cartoon sun on it. And when you hold it in your hand you look at it it's just like this light purple card and then if you put it under your uv bulb whatever spectrum it may be a b whatever regardless of the power it changes color like it's a moon, like a moon ring. ring yeah and that's just and that's just a simple way to see if your bulb is still good you know what I mean? you
2: know what it reminds me of did you ever like when you're a kid get one of those t-shirts that would change color in the sun
1: yeah exactly
2: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> i wonder if it's, it's like, like the oh, same yeah.
2: kind of stuff it's been around forever we just didn't yeah. realize it just right a new but,
1: purpose for it but it, that's the thing is that it, yes the technology is irrelevant but it's getting you in the mindset of of knowing that this stuff does expire and different spectrums yeah and for sure trying different bulbs and you know just going back to uh, cryptic basking so i i've got the only uv the only uvb i have on snakes right now is my Rencals and i have it very i have it very throughout the year depending on the time of year and even the dead of winter when there's no heat lamp on they're still basking in the uvb specifically say 60 seconds after it turns on like Mm -hmm. it comes on they know it's coming they'll come out and they just there's no cryptic they're just out in it and it it could be cool 65 degrees in there they're just chilling yeah so Wild man. Yeah,
0: I keep mine kind of inconsistent. So some days I'll I'll turn it on for like the percentum uh female in particular. Um and then some days like if it's cloudy out that day or it's raining, like I don't turn it on because surely that low pressure system they'll they'll understand like yeah it's yeah. it's probably not the day for it. So I kinda change, it up. you know, I I I leave it on, I turn it off. Sometimes we'll go a couple days without it and then I'll leave it on for you know a half a day and I just I don't like just leave it on and then cut it off every day. It's, you know, it's like, I change it up and and vary it up a little bit. And even then, like that's when I see a difference in terms of like come in in the morning, turn everything on, turn around and notice that female is, is perched up immediately under that UV light. And then, you know, after 30 minutes, whatever, she disappears and goes. If you,
1: if you're doing that every morning, at say 7 a.m. Have you ever gone in there like six fifty and seen seen if she's like ready for it?
0: I haven't, but I have the the wise camera that I could I need to set up and
1: yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see how many weeks or how many months it took her to realize okay, seven a.m. it's going to come on. Let, it's six fifty eight. Let me get up in there and get ready for it.
0: But I've also noticed with the Jansen, I like if I leave it on. You know, if I leave it on all day and then turn everything off that night and then come in and turn everything off again or turn everything on again the following morning and leave it on. Like, I don't see the Jansen Eye as much. Ah. So it's like they, they shelter themselves from it if it's if it's too constant. much. Yeah, But it seems like if you really change it up a little bit, then you, I see way more activity in terms of them coming out, spending some time outside the hides, going back in the hides. You know, it's it's. Really- well, I, I
2: think they could potentially be storing the extra d in their liver you know so maybe they just have like a time clock of how much they need to be basking and they're just hitting that quota and they can do it over a couple days or they can do it all that one day yeah Yeah. Yeah, interesting
1: i mean it it also could be very similar to us where if we are at the beach and we decide to lay out in the sun you get to a certain temperature or your skin gets to a certain feeling and you're like you know what i'm probably going to burn if i stay out any longer Maybe I should put my shirt on. Maybe I should reapply sunblock, whatever. I'm sure they have something very similar in their own way. Yeah. Some to, sort to of know, mechanism for that. Yeah. I got enough of X, Y, and Z. Time to go back in the bush. But,
0: but that is something that I, I do hope people understand. I mean, shirts, sure it's getting better now that people are, are doing it more and more. Yeah. But not just turning on the UV and leaving it on all day. uh, I do definitely, I'm semi paranoid about having them exposed to that constantly.
2: Yeah.
0: i like to leave it off for a day or two and then kick it on for half a day, kick it on for a day, turn it off again. You know, I just,
2: well, providing options is pretty cool now too, where, um, I think you're seeing that a lot more because people are offering these bigger cages. You get UV and thermal gradients as well. I know with our Komodo, because we were able to offer these juvenile Komodo a whole room, um, which is, you know, pretty big for these guys, they come out about the size of a small tree monitor, yeah, or an adult tree monitor, I should say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but they uh, um, we have this huge log form. and we have UV basking and the way it worked out was the hottest point was just next to the ba- the highest point. So they weren't directly the, same. the hottest point is not the strongest point for uv okay and they'll actually kind of rotate through where they want to be so they'll go sometimes if they want to be hot they go over to the hot spot and then they'll go back and they'll get they come up to the the strongest spot of uv as well we've noticed so they can kind of <laughs> wow they can definitely tell it's pretty cool
1: yeah something i uh i've learned about anyone who deals with uh ultra or infrared light in terms of an IR illuminator or infrared lasers, there is, depending on the power of the device, you have what's referred to as splashback. And essentially if I take an infrared, if I have night vision on my head and I have an infrared laser and I shine it at a carpet, it's gonna make a a dot on the carpet that only the night vision can see. We can't see it, it's beyond our spectrum. But if I hit a tile floor or dare I say a piece of glass or a mirror or even water, you'll see that, that infrared beam shatter into pieces and splash back across whatever room you're in or whatever area you're in. And I oftentimes wonder, depending on the type of UV bulbs we're using in what substrate medium or the size of the cage, whether it be glass or PVC or wood or rock, how much of that ultraviolet ray is splashing and moving and are they even are they still being exposed to that radiation even though they're undercover in a hide box or what have you yeah so very very interesting yeah you
2: can kind of you kind of think about it too with the uh or if you get the ir meter you can kind of move it around and you can see some of that sometimes Mm. where you're getting that even covered they could in the shade or if you go outside and you have one you can walk around and you realize even in the shade you're getting uv
0: yeah, yeah. One that's I think that's become a pretty big staple for a lot of field herpers now. Is is things like you know temp guns and then UV readers and things yeah. like that. Uh, that's awesome. You know, I know like when we went out to Texas, Burke had it all. Man, he had, oh yeah, he had the UV meter. He had uh, you know humidity hygrometer type deals, uh, cool. temp guns, yeah. all that stuff. He was getting as yeah. much data as he could.
1: And I'll tell so you. Can what- he- i was no say what you're gonna say sorry no no you first well i was probably maybe 25 or 30 before it clicked in my head you can't take ambient temp with a temp gun you have to have an ambient temp (laughs) reader because the temp gun is getting the temperature of whatever you're pointing it at it's a surface temp yeah Yeah. it's a surface temp so even stuff like that you know what I mean? Even if you're standing around in the desert with a mercury thermometer, waving it in the air, I'm sure it's better than if you just had a temp gun. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense.
2: It's the things that you don't always think about,
1: right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
2: That's pretty here.
0: cool. Scott said, "Reflected UVI is still effective."
2: Yeah. UVI. yeah. So when you're when your guy uh, is out there with all that stuff. And he's checking the UV and the, the temperature and all that stuff. Can he tell you if you're going to have a better or worse day based on we certain do. conditions? Does he have predictable condi-
1: conditions because of that? It, it comes down to the individual species, I think, as well mm-hmm. as the time of year. Because, you know, you could be in the desert and it's January and it's 40 degrees out, right? But you may still have a UV index of eight because the radiation still coming but the temperature is still cold so right. i i really think it depends on what you're what you're looking for in terms of species and you know humidity plays a, a bigger factor than Temperature per se or wind conditions. Like, I mean, the guys were, where were they in, in Southern California? And it was, bu- it was booking crazy wind and it was like a perfect night, but the wind, they thought it yeah. was going to ruin it. Meanwhile, all the rattlesnakes were moving because the wind gave them some kind of audible cover or mm-hmm. maybe it changed cool. the scent patterns, pheromones in the air. Who knows? But they were expecting it to be a dead night. Yeah. Because they're literally all wearing windbreakers. Like, what the hell are we doing out here? And all the rattlesnakes were moving. <laughs> so that's cool. That's
3: cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think the,
1: the real reason why Burke has all those devices is for uh, his own personal research in terms of his own personal herping and our friends herping, but really to get insight into the animals that we keep, because we have the care sheets, we have the guidebooks, we have right. the reference books, the, the, the book books, as Dr. Julander would say, but it really comes down to what's out there. Right? They're, yeah, those yeah, are mean, all
2: starting those, points now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like yeah. those
0: those books aren't going to tell you what the UV index is know, in in
2: Yeah. You can't look that up. Right. That's that's the hard part is. I know I've tried to look before. I'm like, does anybody have what the the UV index is in Com- Komodo or what mm-hmm. uh for what the Ferguson zones are in the treetops where the juveniles are basking. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like
1: Yeah. Or better yet, you're trying to trying to get uh, uh, weather ideas for your Cyclora, and yeah, there's a weather station in Guantanamo Bay, but yeah, it's in the military base, like it's <laughs> right. not in the foothills or the grassland right. areas where the lizards are, you know? Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and even then, and even if if you're talking about like Texas, for say, when Burke had you know all the stuff with him when we were yeah. out there, you know, it's like there's still something you can take from that information and apply it to. Sure. Australian, you know, carpets and stuff like that. Uh,
2: Yeah. And that's that's something that's um, being applied more in zoos as well. I know we're working with the Coastal Plains Institute and a lot of other places for striped newt repatriation project,
3: Nice, and
2: it's the Coastal Plains is doing a lot to help with the monitoring. They're the ones who do all the monitoring in the field. And the zoological institutions right now are doing a lot of the breeding for release. But there's none of that data out there there. You can't just plunk in Google. What's the alkalinity of these ponds out and what's the dissolved organics? What's the DO? What's the, you know, all this stuff. It's like, it's. Especially when they're going to fluctuate
0: that much, like exactly. And it's going to change and it's never going to be. And they're, they're they're
2: ephemeral ponds. So is it going to be different when the season starts versus when we get to rains versus when it's stagnant at the end and it's like is it how much does the ph vary are we going to start seeing a huge plummet because of the amount of decomposing plant matter it's Mm -hmm. like yeah it's crazy so part of that has led into a lot more data being collected at the field sites and that's translating to um changes in the husbandry Mm -hmm. that as we're raising them because we're trying yeah so it's 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 interesting it's the same stuff that you guys are doing just for your private side and Mm -hmm. zoos are having to do the same stuff to help with these programs so it's
3: yeah
0: i just i think about some of these species that we like herpetoculture has not figured out fully yet and it's at this point it's you know we're working things down top to bottom you know bottom top you know, every which way trying to figure it out, you know, Bolins being kind of a good example of that. And it's like the thing we're missing could be so minute and something we wouldn't think of ever would have any sort of effect on on them and their completely. And whatever whatever flips that switch to for breeding and stuff. And it's like if we start getting more hardcore about that that micro data, I guess. So you could you could say you know, maybe there's something there. That's just, that's the biggest piece of the puzzle that we're missing. And it's also the one that we didn't think would matter, you know?
2: Hey uh, Henry, you said there's a website that gives UV index, things like that everywhere in the world. Is that, um, at different times of day as well, or is it prime? Is it just like, are you talking about just the general kind of like how they give the UV index out here in Tampa for like the UV warnings? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Well, I know there's also even something as simple as the weather app on the iPhone. If you have, obviously it's going off of a weather station, right? So mm-hmm. here I, I have, I have several species that I keep. I, I have the locality weather stations in my iPhone weather app, just because I'm that weirdo. So like Scott said, it's general. Okay. So general. Scott's I, also drunk on Zima. He said, cause he loves he, Zima. He is <laughs> drunk on Zima, a glorious bastard. Um. So here Luxor, Egypt, right? Yep. Luxor, Egypt. If I keep scrolling, all right, well, it's nighttime, so it says the UV index is zero. That wasn't helpful. Let's find somewhere that's, that's daytime. Nailed right it. Out. Yeah, right? Actually, all of my localities are nighttime right now. But regardless, it gives you the UV index throughout the day. And obviously, it's going to be more accurate if you're at that exact time. And they can have a pseudo prediction or a fairly accurate prediction for the rest of the the day to come. Um, but it also is just at that weather station. Whether it's it also just
2: exposed to full sun nothing with right any true. sort of cloud cover or, true you know true. most of the time how often is everything exposed yeah mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. exactly
1: exactly and uh Scott although he is drunk on Zima writing books as we speak <laughs> um he says that so h- him and his wife made what we jovially call the elapid Bible it is a oh, nice. it is a brand new 21st century tome of lapid keeping husbandry. You
0: Still need to get a copy of it. Yeah,
1: and uh it, it's it's Where incredible.
2: is it? Where's that? It uh,
1: uh you can find it from several different reptile book retailers in the states. Um I think Tom's Bird Feeders has it. I think Eco Universe has it. It's on um, Amazon. Is it on Amazon now? Okay, it it's is. on Amazon now. Cool. All right, excellent. Um, or go to the Nature For You website in Australia and get it direct from the horse's mouths. Um,
0: there is one left in stock on Amazon right now.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> and he was saying that they put the Ferguson zones in the Elapid book uh, based on- oh, that's cool. Uh, iridescence levels and activity. So that's pretty awesome. And they're, I guess they're working on a new husbandry book and there'll be more about that in that book as well. So that's pretty awesome. freaking cool.
2: Cutting edge stuff right there, man. Yep. Uh, modernizing husbandry as like every year it keeps getting better.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: I mean, being in the the zoo side of that, do you do have you noticed a trend at all where sort of the more professional sector is is looking at the private sector in a
2: more
1: positive way? Manner? Yeah, <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> <clears throat>
2: That depends on if they're those, um, those free handlers or not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I think <laughs> it, go, it, it varies uh, person to person. And I think it varies on the people in the private sector as well. Because, right. you know, there's good, there's good and bad eggs everywhere. And unfortunately, no. there's a lot of people who, go the florida man route oh yeah (laughs) and that's that's what you end up hearing the most about
1: of course Um,
2: but i think a lot of great stuff comes out of um the private sector and there is a very unfortunate trend that's happening across zoos in general um which is, uh, I think you guys have all noticed that everything's gotten a little bit more expensive to take care of. Oh, yeah. Most, yeah, expensive to live, things like that. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of collections. Uh, it's hard to say, okay, there's a lot of animals in human care that are being drastically downsized, and um, you're seeing a lot less back of house projects because they're not, they're not seen, you know what yeah. I mean? They're not, they're not bringing sure. people through the gate. So it's right. it's harder to justify, especially if you're, you're working on paying for the lights to be on, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. um,
0: that's a real, that's a real tough spot to be in, you know? Right.
2: So that, and that's happening across a lot of mm-hmm. places, a lot of zoos and we'd love to see, I'd love to have so many, so many animals that we could, Take care of but you're gonna i think you're gonna see um some private sector stuff you've you've probably seen it as well where it's providing the genetic arc Mm -hmm. that zoos wish that they could fill for everything but um every arc has limited number of seats unfortunately right so um i think that's you see a lot of that responsible keeping in like frog keepers and stuff where they don't want to hybridize anything yeah and it's and um imagine how many species could be protected if the same commitment went to ball pythons as went to you know just think of how much space that is yeah and uh, but it's, it's not anything wrong with that that's what people want to do that's their They're right, I just just think about that sometimes. Um, So I think uh, to answer that question is that people are starting to see that there's an important role on both sides. Mm
1: -hmm. And as
2: I was saying before, um, without, sorry, lost you for a minute there. Without, hey, without that progress that's being done in the private sector, the products needed to take care of animals in zoos aren't wouldn't be created. You know what? Yeah, that's the drive. Yeah. Commercialism is the driving force in development.
0: Okay, right.
2: If come back here. So,
3: and
0: to think, as far as technology goes, too, man. Like in comparison, we say it a lot. You know, in comparison to aquaculture and and like the fish hobby, like how far behind that that curve we are. But I mean, give it another five, ten years. I mean. Maybe I don't so. know about
2: that anymore. Maybe. It's, it's slowly creeping up on, I, I mean, you're seeing a lot more automation, I think mm-hmm. on the reef keepers, but when it comes to lighting and I mean, bioactive is, is like, almost like the, the reef tank aspect of and planted tanks. You know what I mean? Sure. Or planted stuff. I don't know,
1: but yeah. But you're also seeing uh, in that, in that genre, you're seeing more diversity in the enclosures and husbandry of fish that were previously just expendable pets. Like, for example, yeah. there's what we jokingly call neon tetra culture, right? Where now you have individuals who say, you know what, I can buy that 99 cent neon tetra from Petco and i can do a dark water tank yeah. where i've you know uh, extracted natural tannins and i've got the ph perfect and the right hardness for a particular river system in which <laughs> this neon tetra from petco yep. could have possibly or, or originated you know well
0: it's the dart frog yeah. thing like the animals yeah. are the decoration to the yeah. setup in a sense like right. obviously right. their care and stuff is going to is going to be at the forefront but yeah. you know, that's how that's what i came to find when i got into dart frogs was like it's not about the frogs at all like the frogs are the decoration like the tank is the is the the meat and potatoes of it it's like the frogs are just the bonus really
1: yeah
2: yeah Yeah. i I didn't even think about how diverse fish tank culture has gotten because i mean you see people with all their shrimp tanks and like you said region specific tanks and all that stuff now um you're seeing that tentaculums and elephant snakes and all that stuff to yeah. see yeah. the bridging over of the aquaculture into mm-hmm. hepatic
1: sure and and going back to speaking of liaisons between the private sector and the academic academia and zoo field mike stefani just joined the group uh him speaking at symposiums as a private keeper with all these academics and all these zoo people, it, it is it is happening in a great way. It, we just have to have the right people, like Mike Stefani.
2: <laughs> well, I know we've had a few a few times where we have questions about our animals, and some of the best people to talk to are the people who have been breeding them in the private sector for yeah. years. You know, I mean, they've got more experience with hundreds of these animals instead of just you know the four that we're using as a display. You know sure, what I mean? Sure.
0: That is that is something that will always make me giggle a little bit. Is you know you have zoos that have some super rare species of bohriacus or something. They've been trying to breed them for twenty years, and it's like there's some dude in the middle of nowhere and like West <laughs> Virginia or something that's cracked the code like ten years ago, and he's yep. got you know an army of them. And it's just that's, that's what always just makes me yeah makes me giggle a little bit. Yep. There's always a guy somewhere that's just got it figured out. You know, you'll never there's know going- that he exists, but he's there
2: there's always somebody out there who knows more of course
0: and scott said to
2: find the right one to ask
0: bioactive is not the end game either enclosures must suit the inhabitant or make a bioactive and choose the appropriate inhabitant
1: that very true true. for sure for sure yep
2: um and that's just a trendy word that's just getting thrown around now too yeah because you gotta you gotta still want it because a lot of times bioactive people are just like you know springtails isopods but there could be a lot of microflora and things like that in the substrate that we're not even getting to yet you know what i
1: mean yeah like you're like some some of my fossorial stuff tetanus yeah right (laughs) some some of my fossorial stuff i didn't i didn't add isopods i didn't add springtails but they showed up because i got leaves from some yard or i got soil from some my neighbor's house or what you know what i mean we don't think about it because we sift our hands through it and make sure it looks clean and we know it doesn't have pesticides and fertilizers and whatnot but
2: there's zygotes
1: in there that we had no idea were there you know
2: yeah that the, the little fungus that required around all the roots out there in your soil it's like yeah you never know you yeah
1: just don't and i i feel like the term bioactive is great but it's a key word of bioactive but we need like biosustained. You know what I mean? How long has your quote-unquote bioactive enclosure been sustaining itself to the point where it legitimately is bioactive?
2: Okay. So it needs, it needs the, we need a fish term for this. We need the cycled term. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone talks about establishing the nitrogen cycle. We need a Oh, my is cycle. It's, it's established. It's self-replicating. It's sustaining. It's, it's able to handle an influx of waste. Yeah. I'm kind yeah. of wondering. Well, somebody's probably got a term out there. Somebody can tell me if they do.
0: Sweet T said, I heard the term bio natural on a podcast earlier. It's like the gray area between naturalistic and bioactive, which I like that.
1: Yeah, that's pretty it's awesome. Ter-
2: a terrestrial
0: filter. I like that. That's fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Because I don't, I don't consider like my setups that have plants in it, which is like the Rhino cages. But that's a planted pothos. Like I don't consider that to be yeah. bioactive. I just like to have live plants in there because I,
2: I, I think to be bioactive, it needs to have some component where it's breaking down waste, and you know, replenishing, right. right? Self-sustaining plants. Yeah. 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 It needs the 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 what was that? poly Shore movie, the, the bio-dome. biosphere, biodome. There yeah. used to be a
1: biodome.
0: <laughs> You're muted, Phil. Uh,
1: Damn it! I'm quoting poly Shore, and y'all can't hear me. But... Oh no, he probably
2: did that on purpose.
1: Oh uh, yeah, probably. Cinematic. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, if Sweet Tea is who I think it is, they have some incredible, actually bioactive enclosures. So link up with us. Oh, awesome! Show. Yeah.
2: And this here, I haven't talked about it yet. Yeah, this was when I went to um, Grand Cayman and I saw a blue iguana hatchling in the wild. That's why. So that was it. And it ran up a tree and I got a picture of it poking its little head out. And then I printed it on a giant canvas and stuck it on my wall so that I can yeah. talk about it whenever anyone comes over. And then I put it on my window so that you guys can see it. Awesome. But anyway, very. I cool, love it. Man. I mean.
0: Shifting gears, Jeff Frederick just asked, uh, you know, how about keeping Cyclura? You know, your thoughts on captive keeping and your thoughts on hybrids as two separate talking points.
2: My thoughts on keeping hybrid Cyclura? Just your thoughts on hybrids and then your
0: thoughts on keeping Cyclura.
2: Hybrids have a place if you understand that that's not protecting the species in the long term. If you just want to have this animal as a pet, like I have a dog. I, and my dog is spayed. I don't have that dog because I want that dog to help protect the species and to keep that species around. Now, if, for example, if, if you have cyclura, certain cyclura are so imperiled or they need protection and there's not a whole lot of them in the private sector, then I don't, I don't think it's responsible to hybridize mm-hmm. because you want to protect that species right. or that who knows how many generations from now you might need to aid in the reintroduction program. And let's, let's talk about this again. Blue iguanas, blue iguanas, Grand Cayman, Lewis. I sec, their population was down in the low twenties. Wow. They actually flew a few animals from the U S um some of them i believe were zoos there might have been a couple private sector i don't i don't know exactly how many Mm -hmm. came from where um but those animals helped with the breeding program and that kind of broke the bottleneck because they were just at that tipping point where any fewer animals they would have not been able to keep the genetic diversity high enough to not hit to hit a huge bottleneck and have the population potentially crash Mm -hmm. so i mean that can show you private sector zoos genetic arcs can be used to help these programs come back so that's considered the most successful um conservation recovery program of any species in the world especially of reptiles um Well, what was the decline
0: of them in the first place? Like what was the reason that they had declined in numbers that much to begin? Um, There
2: was, there was a lot of development um, of their land. There was, so there was habitat loss, but I mean, if you're looking way out where they are, there's, there's space where they could be away from them, but there was that there's introduction of green iguanas. Okay. Um, There was occasional roadkill or poaching, but a huge one. Um, and it's a, it's a hard beast to overcome as we've seen in the U S is, is feral cats and dogs, um, feral cats, I, cats have a great place in homes, um, I don't believe in homes. Exactly. (laughs) Granted, I don't know how you guys are going to feel about that after you found out that lady in Oregon just got bubonic plague from her cat. So uh <laughs> i mean but really? cats yeah it was just in the news i just read that <laughs> uh, she's being treated she's fine but uh yeah they think she got it from her cat but anyway the feral cats out there are a huge problem and the cats are part of the culture where people want to protect the feral cats so of course they want a They want the cats to be caught and not harmed and brought somewhere, you know, things things like that. But without those being removed, the numbers can't rebound because they eat all the hatchlings. Adult dogs can kill Mm -hmm. adult iguanas. There's occasional roadkill, especially because they started a, they started a program with green iguanas where they were paying people per green iguana they brought in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, you see one on the side of the road, run it over. That's part of the yeah. the collection. So it's unfortunate. So there's roadkill. There's all that stuff. Um, some of the protected lands that are needed got developed, um, but right now, um, like there was that one clutch that that uh, Jasmine and I pulled up. You were talking about that. we holding. Yeah. Or it was, it, we were talking about that earlier. 20 low 20 eggs and that's how many iguanas were in the wild back in the early 2000s and that's one Nuts. clutch now and they're Damn. having a near 100 percent. they had a 98 percent hatch rate so i mean that clutch would would have been the whole population that used mm-hmm. to be around and so now so cool. um now that biopark next next to them they've they've I believe they've managed to control some of the, the feral animal population there. Um, and you're starting to see hatchlings and that's exciting, especially that's this one. Yeah. He had lasted mm-hmm. for a while. So they need to survive just not just being hatching, but survive um, to be big enough to not be cat food. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. And uh, to get to see one that was, wow, that was,
1: well, I, I do think going back to what you were saying, <laughs> we we've said it on here before. We'll say it again. The, the, the Steve Ronella cute and cuddly theory if it's not cute and cuddly nobody wants to save it right Or non non non-animal enthusiasts they don't care about saving it right but i feel like the iguanas because they are so charismatic because they are blue you know because they're big and impressive and dare i say cute that is helping them a lot in that regard
2: it's not just their natural charisma it's the work that's been put in by the Blue Iguana Conservation yeah. um, facility, they've they've done some great partnerships, they've done some great advertising, things like that, in order to instill that pride in the community that this is our animal, this is yeah. our story, this is our recovery, this this isn't Blue Iguana's success, this is Grand Cayman's success. Yeah. And by instilling that, sense of pride
0: Um, like ownership yeah yeah Yeah. that
2: ownership and pride in the community that's how you may make a successful program Mm -hmm. um they have been downlisted from critically endangered to just endangered but it's hard to say whether this the population can be sustainable um, because they've done a ton of work to get these numbers up by breeding Mm -hmm. and then releasing bigger ones um but you're not seeing a lot of recruitment out there so until that population is breeding itself right and bolstering its own numbers i, I it's hard to call it a six like done the work's yeah. not done yeah um and one of the cool things is when i was out there um luke harding uh was running it out there he was a great he's a great guy he's actually out in singapore right now working with the um a whole bunch of different zoos. i know he's doing stuff on komodo he's working with different turtles all over he's doing really cool stuff but when i was there um he was he was spearheading a lot of the projects to bring all that awareness and i was going to go somewhere with this and my my mind kind of wandered right. for a minute there but <laughs> No, I mean that's I, was hope- I was hoping if I talked for a while, it would come back to me what I was going to say. Well,
0: I think projects uh, like that, where you you have results and you're showing pub- the the public that you're getting the results, is a big thing too. Because I think there's a lot of similar programs in place where people, you know, they're like we're we're saving the species, but you never see any of the progress that's made. They just that was talk it. about. I
2: remember. Can I say it before I forget? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, he. It was cool because you're walking around this place and you're talking about okay so which of these animals are here forever and he said none of them the goal is that if this place if we ever hit self-sustaining population and that we get this program to be super successful that we can shut this place down and that every single one of these iguanas will be back out in the wild it's like that's the goal someday is for all of these iguanas to Mm -hmm. not stay as breeders but to go out and yeah so, so i thought that was just
1: super cool way to look yeah, at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I mean, like the, the cat thing definitely sucks. I mean, I won't, I won't beat that dead horse, but uh, you know, just like with the the berms and any other invasive, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm not against calling by any means, you know, species that aren't supposed to be there. were never meant to be there uh, because it's not the animal's fault, but you know, I love cats just as much as anybody else does. Like I have a cat loved to death. He's a terrorist, but he's great yeah
2: but Addie said couldn't believe the amount of cats in florida yeah yeah i mean like locally
0: here the shelter does a catch spay and release thing so we have these colonies of cats that are all fixed and it's like that doesn't really fix the problem because those cats are still going to be terrorizing and killing everything yeah you know and it's like unfortunate it's like i hate to say it but it's like we need to we need to call them like Unless you're gonna take them in yourself and do something with them, like in you know, turn them into indoor cats, which good luck. You know? I
2: I don't think you're talking to the the people who aren't okay with that right now. Yeah, you know what I mean I think anybody who's probably listening to this has probably heard this before and is probably the ones who are telling all their neighbors to keep their darn cat inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's just an unfortunate thing it's that cute and cuddly thing and yeah. and i don't have a solution for it i don't know who came up with trap neuter release but that's just about the dumbest thing i've ever
0: heard <laughs> yeah they do it here all the time like they they go and literally take care of these different colonies like they have them i guess mapped out and cuz there's a walmart up the road from me and there's a colony there and i see them literally setting up shelters and like food bowls and all these kinds of things for this group of cats and it's like how much damage have they done just in that, you know, 100 yard area of, of space in that parking lot and stuff with birds and, and god yeah. knows what else? It's like,
2: now yeah. I saw in the chat uh, somebody asked if I thought the average keeper should or would be able to adequately take care of Cyclura. And then, I mean, the answer is no. Um, you got to think most, if you're talking about advanced keepers then yes the people who are willing to commit the space the time i mean there's so much space required so much time required so much money on on vet bills and if you can't keep it you said not even outdoors i mean that's hard i think of the average the average herp keeper is probably your person who's got one or two herps from the pet from a pet co or something like that that's that's probably the more common side where you see one or two things. We're kind of like how people there's people who have an aquarium and then there's people who do it as a hobby. And once you start getting people who do it a lot more advanced in the hobby and are willing to commit the time and space, then, then yes, I think that you could potentially do a cyclura, but general public and general people will not have the space or resources for one
1: yeah yeah
2: it's just it's unfortunate that's the way it is but
0: and then jeff also asked do you think that captive pure blue uh iguanas would eventually make it into the private hobby after successful repopulations for the sake of creating safety populations
2: um it's hard to say for sure i don't i don't envision that in the near future um, there's just
0: too much work ah, to be done.
2: I think you're going to see it at like something like Ty Park's place first, where it'd be like a bridge between a right. private sector and a, and you'll start seeing at places like that um, first, but I don't think you'll see peers in the private trade mm-hmm. for, yeah. I, I don't see it in well, the foreseeable future
0: what are the hybrids currently? Cause I know it's Lewis. i mixed with Cuban. rhinos or Cubans. Cuban
2: okay. Cubans. Okay. And they're, they're actually supposed to be, uh, I think a descendant of Cubans. I think like, it was something like that. Some Cubans got over there. So like if they like, like they had the tree of when they all kind of split true. off and they think that one kind of split off of Cubans, but man, the blue one, when you see a true blue, Holy cow, they're they're you know, this color. Yeah, I, I was so excited when I saw it cuz I was like man that's that's Peter Peter the blue dragon that's his color. Nice. I turned your rhino into a blue dragon.
0: <laughs> Rhinos good. are cool as hell man. I yeah. I, I had a, a a neighbor my my parents place there was a vet that lived around the corner from them and they had a rhino and they kept it in like a a big greenhouse type deal and it somehow unfortunately either got stolen or got loose and never saw it again. Keep
2: cool cats in appropriate enclosures. I like that. I like when people build the catio's. I think that's super yeah, cool. <laughs> Very clean. Cool. A portion of Lewis I that are pure labeled as hybrids. So that's interesting. Um, is it possible that some have kind of snuck through? I mean, that's
1: always possible. Yeah, there's things definitely always,
2: things always happen
0: to find a way.
1: Yeah, there's 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 yeah. definitely peers in Europe of of sea yeah. pictures like well you know and uh, who knows be. it could be could be stowaway stories, could be purposeful stowaway stories, you know. We'll never know. what is it,
0: what is it Nipper always says you can get anything out of the Czech Republic?
1: Oh a thousand percent.
2: <laughs> I mean people are still out there poaching stuff too, unfortunately. I don't I don't know if they're doing it in Grand Cayman, but mm-hmm. like Fiji Fiji bandits, people are still out there trying to collect these guys even though they need their protection where they're
1: at yeah which is crazy because that seems to be something that with the exception of the united states are very easy to breed and everyone has them
2: they're uh they're super fun I've, i've worked with them at the zoo so um yeah i think there's the population was around 55 fiji banded iguanas in the whole u.s okay and we had we had 18.
1: Oh, wow. at one
2: point because wow. we were breed we bred them like crazy man we, yeah, we had that, a ton of them
1: that's, they breed thinking. really
2: well they don't get huge they're yeah. easy to care for especially outdoors here in florida um unfortunately the uh u.s population part of it might have come from tonga uh which kind of screws up the lineage on if they're Fasciatus or Bula Bula, and so there's a there's a possibility of a cross between a Fiji banded and a Lao banded, or Fiji crested and Lao banded, or whatever. So, so you, you're starting. To, some of them are potentially hybrids, so it makes management more difficult in terms of
1: genetic. Diversity. Do they have
2: that? Do they have that potential to be a genetic arc if they're a hybrid that can never really be reintroduced? And then you're committing the resources mm-hmm. to breed an animal that like somebody was talking about hybrids, is it, 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 we're seeing that with Galapagos tortoises a lot too now, where you're starting to see more and more stuff that's turns out it's a hybrid and there's limited, limited seats um, you know, so it's, right. it, it just makes it a, a challenging uh, thing to think about. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. I think it also comes down to individual states and individual country laws because, mm-hmm. I think you can't, a galop can't cross state lines. Any galop can't cross state lines without right. U.S. Fish and Wildlife licensing, right? Which, from what I gather, is is simple. It's $100. You just have to have patience. But if it's a hybrid, you don't have to. Oh. So I've seen people that had, you know, uh, Aldabra, Silcata hybrids, and God knows what. But yeah, Oh,
2: seeming so hybrid. could They don't count it as a hybrid if it's two species of galop right? They'll still acquire the, I don't, I don't
1: know, but I know that there are people who've got galops across state lines because it wasn't purebred. So, Oh, it's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know oh. if they could be talking out of their butt for all I know, but Hey, I man, took that picture. Look at that lizard.
0: Well, Jeff asked if there was pics of true blues. Maybe I didn't
2: take that one. That's a beautiful blue that, that I've seen that guy. That looks like Peter. Is that my photo? Yeah, that's your Instagram. <laughs> okay. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I think I might have taken that picture. Yeah, I've had some cool ones. That's, that's an amazing... Yeah, look at the color. Yeah, man. It's your shirt. That's awesome. He's a special dragon, too. Uh, <laughs> he's not a good breeder. Turns out he prefers other boy iguanas. <laughs> Fair and enough. So actually... Uh, He's weird too because he's always in breeding blue. Normally they just fire up like that when they're breeding. Okay. But he uh he tried to breed another male and it bit one of his peens off. Oh jeez. Oh, so he's down to one. But he's oh, still man. he's he's still good for genetics. He just you just gotta get him to breed. Yeah. But they are look at those beautiful eyes, man. They yeah, have the, the
1: eyes f- are killer. Fucking bloodshot beautiful
0: eyes. Beautiful bloodshot eyes. <laughs>
1: no but I mean but the contrast with look, red against yeah the blue. no I know.
2: Yeah. they look like they've been on a bender for like the last week <laughs> yeah
1: the ebor city baby
2: <laughs> oh man thats yeah, some good you know, stuff a, right a there bite from
0: one of those suckers would suck
2: oh yeah they could do some damage but if you guys yeah if you don't follow blue going to conservation check them out you can also go out there they have a um a program where you can do like a keeper for a day type thing when you're out there. Um, and they'll let you go. They'll, they'll show you, you get to clean habitats and meet the babies and potentially hold some. And, um, I know when I was there, I got to help with a a few releases too. They let me name one of the little babies after my, uh, after my kids. So I got, they've got a little iguana out there in the world named after them. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Hopefully, you know, it's a little breeder and, Helps make the next generation of iguanas. Yeah. Oh, but that is some of the most treacherous terrain you could ever walk on. Really? Um do you guys know what karst stone is?
0: Yeah, is uh, it all all rock? Pretty much.
2: It's it's rock, but it's a type of geologic formation where limestone er- erodes in a way that it makes jagged spikes. Oh. So you're walking on these like razor blades there's one there's one spot that they call Mordor because it looks like just the jagged rock work really? um, I know I had put I had put some pictures up I don't know if they're around or if I have a video up somewhere but you can see it you're just walking on it's like you have to when you're looking you got to look for the tips and you'll be walking on like where a couple tips come together and that's what you're stepping on. When you're walking through that, and if you catch your foot wrong, it actually will cut through your shoe. I know I, uh, when I was walking out there, I barely grazed a rock, and it put a big slice through my pants, and that was just from barely hitting it. So that would have been a, a little while back, but man, those rocks, and they take a little bit of time to uh, get adjusted to work and walking around on. Um, yeah, I got all sorts. <laughs>
0: I got a thing for alligator snappers, so I got
2: it. And they watch. Then there's there's he's sitting on a big alligator. Oh, (laughs) 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 that's awesome. I like that one. That was a fun video. I love those guys, man. Yeah, no fucks to give. (laughs) Yeah, I could tell. I love this one.
1: Bill, the shirt that you
0: tempting me with with them. Oh, he's like, I got one, man. You can. It's all yours. Just say the
2: word didn't somebody make a a hybrid maybe oh that's when i was out there so maybe if it's not one of those but that was releasing a big mail oh that's that's luke right there the guy in the blue shirt Mm -hmm. super nice guy um
1: yeah show the frog show the frog
2: gotta show the frog
0: that's that's not an actual frog it's oh it's not
2: that's a when that's, i was in panama so that's a panamanian golden frog yeah um they're they're pretty much extinct they're extinct out there they haven't been seen out there since 2009 and we breed them at the zoo so i thought that was cool to find that you'll find some stuff well, yeah with panamanian golden frogs yeah a lot of a lot of random stuff on there you're pretty you're pretty deep in there now far back spadefoots nice Dude, that dude was just hopping around. I might have been with with Addie on that one. I know she was running around my neighborhood with me looking at stuff. Kiddler crabs. Watch a hatch, hatch and stuff. Go to the shows with those guys. Right
0: there, pick his nose a little bit.
2: <laughs> that, that video on the left there with the gharial is all over the internet, I feel like. this That one, I get tagged in that one all the time.
1: So cool, man. So cool. You just have that long. So
2: bizarre. 100 to 110 teeth in their mouth at any given time. Always losing teeth, getting new
0: teeth. I saw some video, I think it was last year or sometime, there was some guy who was like, stroked the back of. I don't think it was a. Oh. A, a, but
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I paused name. it so I could see what it was. That was a. That was a Timistema, a little Timistema, and he got nailed. Yeah. <laughs> I screenshotted right when he got bit and sent that to my team. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, you can see I love the Garyll's teeth and stuff. Yeah, dude. There's all the, the fusions, right
1: Yeah. Oh, golden oh, there's the gold. Yeah. So cool, man.
2: Yeah, I've, we've bred a lot of those at the zoo. I know we had 140. Me and the another uh-huh. guy who had worked there, I bred about 140 of them. And because you can get a lot from one um, yeah, the spawning machine. one clutch, but but you have there, you have to limit the number that you keep from each clutch. So we're usually around 30 from each. But we've uh, just this year. Um, the other two members of my team, Spencer and Jasmine, each kind of led a breeding tub, and both of them were successful. And that's about another sixty animals there, so that's about two hundred golden frogs that we've produced. Wow! Which is pretty awesome for a species that doesn't exist in the wild anymore.
1: Yeah, and w- what's the reason for them being extinct in the wild? Is it is it agricultural habitat loss
2: it... and um, chytrid fungus?
0: Oh wow! Aren't they? Yeah, aren't they kind of the species that sort of spearheaded the whole chytrid
2: yeah they they were talking a lot about that stuff with the um because it spread through panama and they have kind of really accurate or pretty a good timeline of how it spread through there and just wiped out tons of species and right before Mm -hmm. they were all gone they went and collected some and that happened to be all that's left now wow now now we're talking
0: yeah, they're awesome. Way out of my tax bracket.
3: <laughs> Lots of cool stuff. Big, big. I mean, we gotta, we gotta
0: days. touch on the Komodos a little bit because I feel like if we don't, people might get upset.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's my brother's dog. There, I forgot I put that up. Uh, Komodos are super smart, super awesome. And we were talking about the. Um, that Tamistema being super trainable, the Komodos are as well. Uh, I know the other day we went and it was me and the other people and, or me and my other two keepers. And we were, uh, she was out and we were giving her a rabbit because she had just laid a bunch of infertile eggs and we were trying to get her, um, you know, give her a little nutrients back. Mm -hmm. And so we put out a rabbit for her. She ate it real quick. And then she went back and she was running around out on the yard. And then there was a bunch of other guests out there, but the three of us yelled for her and she came right over. We're like, come on in. And she followed us right into the habitat. Like she, she knows when it's us talking to her, she'll actually stop to come look at us while we're there. Um, They know when, when we come up to the, the the babies know us and we come up to handle them, they can actually see us through the window and they'll kind of look at us and they know if we're coming in. Uh it's, they're just so smart. Very and they all have different personalities as well. Um what's the incubation just, time on those? Uh it was just over 215 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that's a that's a long one. Um 80 85 I think we we had it at mm-hmm. 85 degrees required higher humidity than we thought. So we started them out a bit drier. They started Mm -hmm. to dimple. So we raised it up a bit. And once we managed to get the humidity under control, um, and talking to just other institutions and some people in the private sector about how they do a lot of their different monitor eggs. And yeah, we had success. Six babies
1: What was the uh, final sex ratio. Three
2: to three. Oh, wow. wow perfect so yeah so we actually um DNA sex the eggs oh awesome so that well, was pretty cool so the, you got the egg
1: after hatching or with the animal still inside the egg
2: with the animal still developing inside
1: wow how's that done
2: um so set up uh essentially a light box so that you can see when you shine the light through you'll see the blood vessel mm-hmm. it's a very fine needle And just, they draw kind of lines, uh, depending on where the light is, so they can get that perfect lined up with the blood vessel. And then we actually were able to keep the the light on and watch the needle go in and just draw. All you need is a drop, and then they can DNA sex it. Wow.
1: That's incredible.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. Um, So that's actually a part of the management strategy now for them, because, um, for example, if that was... a bunch of parthenogenic animals you'd have all males right. and it's not really improving the genetic diversity of the animals in the us if you just have a ton of parthos so right uh you got to be you got to be really careful with the management because how many how many um komodos can each zoo reasonably hold yeah, right so it's another thing there's another limb there's limited amount of space Uh, so yeah, you got to think about that stuff. You can't just hatch every single egg that you find. And then now, especially you want to have more females. I was just looking at, um, Walter Offenberg's book from the eighties from when he went to Komodo Island and he was talking about how the ratio of males to females, there was three and a half males for every female. Wow. I thought that was pretty interesting. So very,
3: yeah.
0: How are the, I mean, when they, the hatchlings, are they, are they fairly bold as when they come out or are they pretty flighty? Like a lot of, you know, a lot of monitor
2: spaces. It's, that's, that's part of what I was saying. They have different personalities. So we've got one, um, his name is Dracus and he comes right out. He crawls right up onto your hand and then he just cla- crawls all over you and does whatever. A couple of the smaller girls though, they don't want anything to do with you. They might smell you, but they go, and they want to do their own thing. So they all, they all are a little bit different. Um, We named one uh, after Walter Offenberg. Um, He was the one who did a lot of the original Komodo dragon research back in the day. Um, He was actually the guy, he wrote a brief theory about the bat. He was, he kind of had a note about the bacteria potentially in there that we Mm -hmm. now have seen that is venom. Um, So they're not, I don't know. Have you guys read about all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I figured, but,
1: you know. (laughs) Anyway, um, For for some of the listeners that are not familiar, why don't you give us a rundown?
2: Oh, so essentially back in the day um, when they were looking at these animals, these Komodos, they'd ambush attack, they'd bite, and so they'd be losing a lot of blood, but then they'd get a really good sign of getting like sepsis or bacterial infections. And so the theory was that they had this really dirty mouth and that it would do the bacteria would be used as a venom one of the my favorite way that it's been put is substantial claims require substantial evidence and yeah. there's not substantial evidence that there is a bacteria in there but what they have found is especially if you see if you ever look in a komodo's mouth and they open their mouth you're not going to see tons of teeth because they have gums that come up mhm and when they bite, the pressure squeezes down on the gums and that's what allows the venom in their duct to get squeezed out. Their teeth, they have, uh, what is it called? Uh, zycodon, zy, zy, zyphodon or whatever, it's the sword tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a hooked serrated tooth and the way it's lined up, the teeth won't catch with each other, so it does a bite. Their their head, they've done studies on it. Their head is not designed for thrashing. The way it can withstand force is straight back. So their body is designed to grab, pull back, and make one giant, huge wound. Wow. So grip, rip, and then as they're doing that, they drip. They seep venom. So that venom, um, they've actually isolated it. They've done separate studies with it, and they found um, that it will lower blood pressure, will cause the animal to to not stop bleeding. It doesn't allow clotting. Um, And so uh, it moves their kill rate up. So a lot of what they eat, they grab, and they can kill right away. You're talking 70% of it is just mechanical action. Um, Mm -hmm. Just that biting, all that damage, the blood loss, they can, they can kill things and eat it. That venom potentially adds another 15%, moving them up to like an 85% aggregate kill rate, which makes them one of the most successful predators in the world. So it's just, it's just crazy. So we're starting to see now more and more evidence. And um, I don't even think it's really uh, a debate anymore. Everyone pretty much knows. They're venomous, and mm-hmm. the only reason that people say it's a debate is because they don't want to fight with people if they don't want to believe it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's hard because because people are looking at them, and they're like, oh, well, Komodo dragons potentially have they have really good healing properties, so they were looking at their blood for things like potential new antibiotics.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So you're looking at it for antibiotics. If they're still good at getting bacteria, how are they going to have such a dirty mouth that harbors bacteria? You can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. Their body can't be good at fighting bacteria and good at growing bacteria. So it makes much more sense when you look at them that they're they're causing a lot of damage and they have a venom. Um, Also, if you ever watch one eat, they are incredibly clean. Um, They'll even take breaks sometimes while they're eating to go wash their face or wipe it off. Um, it's interesting they're always they're always cleaning up they'll rub their face off i mean there's times that they literally are covered in animal feces because they're in there but um, (laughs) overall they're very clean looking um you're not seeing food stuck in their teeth or anything like that
1: are the teeth grooved or have a fuller like a gila monster or no
2: um they do not have any grooves or they do not have any ducks here sorry hold on i gotta figure out how to prop you up Oops. losing things i'll just hold you um they have the serrations on the front and if you look on the side of the tooth um it actually has like lines coming from up in the gums all the way down so it does seem like it's grooved to assist with it but it okay. does not necessarily have straight up channels
1: okay very
2: interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't remember what institution it was, but somebody had they took two like T-bone steaks and they put them on paper plates.
0: Yeah, I saw that and,
1: recently. Yeah. Wow. And I guess they had one that was just they were both exposed to ambient air for the same amount of time. One T-bone was just a thought out. Let me see if I can find it.
2: I just saw on Instagram. The other yeah, time. it's on it's on Animal Planet. I actually just pulled that up the other day because okay. I was uh, I saw that pull up. I can't. I can't remember what it what the show. It's hard to find. I, you might be able to find it. Okay. Um, but the guy bites it himself on one of them, and yeah. then the other one he injects. I have no idea what the paste is, though, or
1: how
2: how he it's got TV. it.
1: I I heard that it was some kind of like zoo facility, or whatever, and they basically took a popsicle stick of of Komodo spit and just lathered it on the piece of meat. But we could be talking about different things. I don't know.
2: I saw it on a TV show that they okay. had done it, and it like the the komodo one looked like they had ton, put a ton on it and it basically melted
1: yeah it was like liquefied in like four days or whatever. yeah yeah
2: yeah it was it was cool very it cool. was cool very cool so so i mean there is definitely something going on there um i mean we all have bacteria in our mouth too so i don't necessarily think like a lot of the studies they've done they haven't found anything crazy in terms of bacteria like anything that can be used in a weapon uh, fashion
1: On the, if they've, how I phrase this, if they've isolated this specific enzyme and are deeming it a venom because of its physical properties and attributes and whatnot, is it something that is, is it like per se specifically a myotoxin or is it just, it's a Komodo cocktail, it's its own thing?
2: I can't tell you for sure. You okay. got to look up Fry. Um, Fry yep. actually has done a bunch of papers on it, and I don't want to give an answer that I don't know. is.
1: Yeah, the only problem is Fry's stuff is unreadable for the standard folk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he did uh, a really awesome talk about two years ago um, where he kind of broke everything down and talked about it. Um, I'll send that over to you. You can check it yeah. out.
1: Yeah, I'd yeah, love to and, see it. Yeah, yeah I, it, I have his book and his venom book and is fascinating and it's huge and it has uh, so much information but it's literally yeah, I need to get that unreadable before. if you don't have a gobbledygook history. yeah it's it's unreadable yeah so
2: but he breaks stuff down really well he he talks about for example the water buffalo and how everyone always likes that awesome example of the water buffalo where they bite it they wait for it to die whatever and he said, first of all, water buffalo have only been there for 300 years. So the, how could they be part of the right. evolution? Second, the they've done tracking of the animals that do the biting versus the animals that do the eating. And none of the time is the animal that ambushes and bites the one who actually gets to eat the, the dead carcass. Really? So he, his... his um, how did he say it? Nature is not generous. It doesn't give gifts like that. So it yeah. would not, there is no evolutionary advantage for a Komodo to do that, to give other animals food. So that would not be a an, a factor for it. And cause you're not going to be promoting your genetics by feeding all these other animals. That sure. was part of his reasoning behind why that wasn't really making sense i know that's cool very interesting very interesting but i mean if you look at this book by offenberg that was such a small part of it when he talked about that and his his all the information in there the amount of research he did on that island about komodos it's it's outstanding it's a phenomenal Uh book um and, and that's one of our komodos we named off and his family actually came in um so we named one often after walter offenberg um just because he did lay that foundation that was back when it's so weird to think about a time that people didn't all know about komodo dragons yeah yeah <laughs> incredible um there's paperwork from uh 1912 i think when the people were first discovering that this komodo dragon even existed you know what i mean yeah. like obviously the locals all knew it as the aura but like uh, it just blows my mind how short of a of a timeline we've we've been learning about all this
1: stuff. yeah and like imagine being on one of those merchant vessels or or a, a military a colonial military vessel and mm-hmm. you happen to stop at this island because, you know, you got to let your guys stretch your legs. And maybe we'll see if there's inhabitants or maybe we'll see if there's a buffalo to eat because we've been eating hardtack for six weeks or 10 weeks. And you get to the beach and there's dragons.
2: Right. And they're right? in the ocean and they're, and they're on swimming. the beach. Oh, and yeah.
1: And they're drooling and then
2: in fear. <laughs> you're, they're just ambush predators. So you're yeah. at that point, you're food.
1: You know yeah. what I mean?
2: just imagine
1: that oh man it's like uh, we've talked about this before in here but there's a, a paper from i guess the 1640s of right before they did jamestown settlement in in the new world as they say and i guess one of the boats that landed somebody from jamestown writes you know we landed on on the beach you know shall be called virginia and there were snakes with rattles on their tails on the beach and they and he basically describes timber rattlesnakes on the beach and it's like imagine being the first person to see that imagine being the first person to see a 12 foot <laughs> dinosaur drooling staring at you licking its chops you know Yeah, uh,
2: dude that would be crazy crazy
1: and
0: the bacteria thing always just kind of never made a whole lot of sense to me especially when they're showing you know buffalo and i'm like that's really not that effective if it takes that long for something to die yeah you know, it was kind of like, does it, what dies quickly from a bacterial infection? Yeah.
2: Not a lot. <laughs> no. You know? so no. I... It's just not a thing. But, you know, a big gaping wound and some venom that can do yeah. it.
0: Sheer, sheer trauma, sure. I'll, I'll you know, <laughs> that I buy, you know, but. Yeah. The bacteria thing was always kind of, it doesn't seem.
2: It was so like cool that. growing up. Are you serious? You can't. I mean, oh, you can no, judge it sure, now. sure. But like that was just so cool. I I remember watching all those videos and being like, yeah,
1: bacteria. <laughs> yeah, and it's always it's always the whole dirty mouth thing. And they always show the one dragon yawning and like the spit is like yeah, in the spit. movie oh, Alien. Oh yeah. You know the the movie Alien where the drool is touching the top and the bottom. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Menacing.
2: It's funny when they get real excited and you start to see that. <laughs> and just hang drools hanging like a, out of their mouth like a bulldog.
1: yeah all right so since we're on the topic of drool is that when you see the dragon that has like the drool hanging out the side of its mouth is that just their saliva because they're excited or is that actual venom
2: i would say it's more likely saliva because i can't say this for sure because i haven't done the studies on it but i believe the the pressure on the gums allows for the actual release
1: yeah just like a Gila monster
2: yeah 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 like so if you don't them. have that pressure then i mean maybe there's something in there but yeah more likely you need to apply pressure to those those gums yeah 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 rip nice rip and things. drip baby do you know
3: <laughs> how closely how
0: are, are crock monitors pretty closely related to them are they
2: monitors in general i know laces um and stuff out there are i don't i don't know how closely they're all related but they're like there that. apparently was some what, the megalofauna out there that were the giant lizards all over mm-hmm. that whole region of, like, Indonesia, and um so many went extinct that it's hard it's hard to tell the exact lineage on everything.
0: Uh, you just uh, see, like, yeah. the head structure of, of croc monitors in comparison to, like, Komodos, and they're just very yeah, similar, and, and weird sort of he, cut like if you look
2: at the teeth too though they've they've got a little pointier probably because they're grabbing like birds and stuff um for the croc monitors and that tail oh my gosh that tail man yeah Yeah. um but the intelligence i mean they're up there too so i Mm -hmm. mean i it's hard not to look at a monitor and realize that it's looking at you and thinking about something absolutely
0: either o'shea or uh, Austin Stevens had an episode of their show where they were looking for Croc monitors. I can't remember which one it was. I really wish we could get O'Shea's stuff, like
1: those episodes, back. We need to yeah, start yeah. a
0: petition or something. And
1: I mean, well, we, I asked him flat out, and he was like, "Yeah, it's all production company stuff." That's just. Like, what they... if we
0: all pitch in like a dollar and tell this production company if we can get enough people to do it? I'd be like, look, we'll buy this if you will release it.
1: I'm sure if if the production throwing a buck, yeah, if the production company or the (laughs) the producers or whoever knew the demand, I just think they probably don't realize the demands there. You know, especially since the footage is the footage is really it's very 90s, you know what I mean? And the and by today's standards, it probably would not be a desirable watch. With the exception of but our community say
0: that, but they have like every episode of the twilight zone on netflix at one point
1: yeah but the, but the, that's different man That's it's, it's, it's fiction and it's classic and and more people are going to watch the twilight zone than a show about animals where he doesn't always fight them <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean
2: Scott's reality said. is komodo entus so are australian they went west there's a lot of good nature for you throwing out a lot of good stuff
0: yeah. yeah. Price I and Komodo and Sister, uh, sister species with various branches a little earlier. Salvadori are close, but still way off.
1: Yeah. Scott knows a thing or two about lizards. He wrote a couple books. <laughs> couple. <laughs> couple. Let's get a
0: Kickstarter going for that shit, Jeff said.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm telling yeah, you, man, you came at them with no, the right no. amount of money. They, I bet you they do it. They're like, we're not hey, going to buy anything, right? Now. That's right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's got a price.
2: Herp keepers aren't usually the ones that come for for a lot of money, though. True. That's
0: what I'm saying. If we get like two hundred thousand people to we'll throw in a dollar,
2: everybody. You just need everybody.
0: Everybody.
1: Well, it, it's four a.m. in London, so in the morning I'll message him and see what we can do.
0: <laughs> Give us some email addresses or something. Let's start just bombarding them.
1: Yeah. Right. Spam
0: him. It's Like Christmas with the cranks when they all want frosty. Oh,
1: jeez. Give us frosty. Just give me a snack pack. Uh, good stuff, boys. Good stuff.
0: Phil, get me a, a bunny number. Jeff's
1: <laughs> I'm on it, Jeff. I'm on it. I, I seriously, I'll, I'll I'll text him in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: Stefani said he has mainland Sulawesi uh Togianas that are looks so much like a small Komodo. He said 10-pound monitors.
1: Wow. Super cool.
0: <laughs> Scott said, because that'll go down well, emailing him <laughs> and then bombarding him.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's all right. He, 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 if I message him, he'll respond rapidly. If I email him, which is what he prefers, ironically, it's usually at least a week before <laughs> I get a reply. <laughs> so, Everybody breaks, bro. It's biology. Yep. <laughs> We'll
0: find uh-huh. addresses, email addresses, phone numbers. We'll
2: hunt them down.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
2: Well, all right, guys. I think we're hitting my bedtime.
0: We are at the two hour mark. We are. Uh, this has been good. It's been great. Yeah, it's a great episode. Enjoyed it.
2: This was, was super fun. Out. Thanks for having me, guys. That yeah, made man. Happen.
0: Are you going to Daytona this year?
2: I am planning on it. Uh, yeah. We'll see if uh, we'll see if our Chris and Addie still there. Are they still going to invite me this time? They usually invite me, so I usually go hang out with them. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll see you all there.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That'd be awesome. It's the one show I I refuse to miss at this point. So, yep, yep. Addle said, "Of course."
1: Heck yes, guys.
2: Oh, all right, well, so we do anything here, or you just kind of sign off. We just
0: sign it off. This episode was brought to you by fulvious Check it out. Use code THN to check out. Get 10 per no 20, 15, 15% off your order.
1: Given their soul story. Oh of ah,
0: 15% off your order. That is the exclusive discount code for THN listeners and viewers like you. BlackboxCages.com. Also use the code THN to checkout, get 10% off your order there. Get yourself a rack, get yourself a cage, get both, get one or the other. They're gonna be great. You're not gonna be disappointed regardless. Um, tax season is here. Drop, drop, drop those dollars. If you gave the government yeah. a, an interest-free loan, you might as well use whatever they they give you back for something awesome.
2: Like yeah. these videos that you're gonna be donating to buy. That's
0: right.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Economic plan. Everyone donates 10% of their tax refund.
1: (laughs) That's great. (laughs) We buy back
0: the show. That's it. Uh, caffeine.com. Check it out. Get some coffee. Wake up. All that good stuff. Puget Sound Pythons, the Pacific Northwest. Jeff and Kendra, awesome people. Give them a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Flipping 10 is happening Thursday. Nice. uh, That'll be live. You can catch that here. It's going to be episode two. I don't know if I'm actually going to be there watching because I think Chris and I might be recording a Cornstars episode. I don't think we've got anybody locked in yet for that, so we're working. We're working on that. But wow,
1: two uh, thn episodes in one night.
0: I know, wild. Uh, well, this is what happens when when Jake's like, "Hey, what if like once or twice a month, we, me and Sky do a thing?" I'm like, that's perfect," because now I can either take the night off or I can do something else. I can do Condrocast or whatever. So yeah it works out. Uh, so we'll be back later this week. Thank you everybody. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.